Roll down tide. From the Clark Ford Studio in Oxford, Mississippi, this is the Beer Garden presented by Oxford Crystal. Like to hear a little bit more conviction in your take, though. There was a lot of maybes, a lot of what ifs, a lot of questions. You need to just get on here. You need to fire and and put me in a position where I have to tell you that you're wrong. And now, here's your host, Neil McCready. Nice, nice. Welcome to another edition of The Beer Garden, presented by the Oxford Crystal. I'm your host, Neil McCready. Today on the show, two guests, Ryan Brown of WJOX in Birmingham. We talk a lot of college and pro football for uh, more than an hour, a little bit of baseball at the very end, but it's an hour of of college and pro football. I think you will absolutely love it. And then uh, we visit with um, my daughter, Campbell McCready. We talk about The Bachelor. We talk about... Her uh, first academic year, I think you guys will enjoy it. And um, for those of you that don't want to hear the personal stuff, there's still an hour and eight minutes of uh, sports jammed into this edition of the Beer Garden. Before we get to our guest, let me tell you that we are brought to you by the Oxford Crystal Highway 6 West in Oxford. It is uh, just next door to the Oxford Exxon. We always tell you all the time you can fill up and then fill up there at the Oxford Crystal. It's home to the Scrambler breakfast bowls. Uh, Those are there every morning. Sausage, bacon, grits, cheese. It's all there. Great way to start your day. Ten crystals for $6. You can um, get ready for the uh, big football weekend. Sit back, enjoy some crystals, and uh, get ready for the NFL weekend, the BCS National Championship game. You can also enjoy the new Nashville Hot Chick. It's part of the Pick five for five fifty-five there at the Oxford Crystal. We are also brought to you by Clark Ford. I'm coming to you from the Clark Ford Studios. Clark Ford's in Amory, Mississippi, 662-257-1900 is the number. Call it. Ask for Corey Clark. Tell Corey what Ford product you're looking for. He'll send you a quote within 15 minutes in business hours. It's right to the bottom line. No hassle, no haggle. You get your quote, and the rest is up to you. What I would recommend that you do is get into a Clark Ford. You'll love it. You'll love the service. You'll love the product. Uh, I'm in a Clark Ford. You'll hear from Campbell a little later. She's in a Clark Ford. We love Clark Ford. You will, too. Corey wants to be a car guy. He wants to be a truck guy. He'll prove that to you. 662-257-1900. Uh, Ryan Brown's going to join in a minute. He'll join on the Rafters Food and Music Hotline. Uh, this Sunday, it's Rafters Bluegrass Sunday. You go in, get a great way to start your Sunday in Oxford. $3 mimosas, $5 famous Bloody Marys. Brunch starts at 1045. It's also a great place this weekend to watch sports. You can go in, watch the NFL games, college basketball, whatever the case may be, beer specials and everything else, food specials at Rafters. The food's terrific. Uh, Great atmosphere, great place to watch a game. Tons of screens. You'll absolutely love it at Rafters Music and Food Hotline. Make sure you tell them that you heard about it on our family of podcasts. So without further ado, let's go to the Rafters Music and Food Hotline and Ryan Brown of WJOX in Birmingham. Take a listen. Ryan, Happy New Year. Thank you for uh, for being with us. Really appreciate it. Hope you're doing well. I'm great, Neil. I hope, uh, hope your family had a good Christmas and uh, is having a great 2020 so far. 
We are kind of back into the routine now, as I'm sure you are as well. Campbell goes back to college on uh, she's leaving on Saturday. They start the second semester at Arkansas on on Monday, and it's kind of weird, you know. You go that first semester when she's gone, um, and don't get me wrong, we missed her, and we're glad she came home and all that stuff. But you realize during the break that you know a big part of her life now, probably the the primary part of her day to day life now, is in another place, and you can tell she's itching to get back and. And I mean this in a nice way. We're ready for her to go back because she's happier there, you know. And it's in, 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 a, in a good way. It means it's good. It's what you know. People are like, "Oh, I bet you're gonna miss her." I'm like, "Well, I mean, we do miss her. There's no question about that." But we're happy because she's happy. So she's, she's doing well. That's what you send them off to college for. Yeah, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, you know, I often think of weird things, and I was talking to my wife the other day. And I said, you know, back when I was a kid, 2020 seemed like such a futuristic time. I really didn't think it'd be like this. I mean, I don't know that I thought we'd have flying cars, but like when I was a kid, 2020 just seemed like the future. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like a Jetson type future. And it's nothing like I thought it would be when I was a kid. Isn't that funny? Yeah, because I guess if you had told me in 1980, guess what 2020 would look like, I would have probably thought something like flying cars. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Teleportation, things you do, time travel, things like that. Um, <laughs> it's pretty normal. It's pretty, it's pretty normal here in 2020. I'm very surprised. <laughs> hadn't thought about it like that, but you're right. Um, <laughs> uh, so if I told you, if I said, what do you think 2050 looks like, what would you guess? You know, uh, probably, I mean, gosh, we've got to have flying cars by then, right? Um, automated cars. Flying sure. cars. Do you think? Do you think people are still yeah. driving cars in 2020, or are they are they programming their destination and and playing on their phones the whole time? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. In 2050, yeah, you just program the destination and go to sleep or play on your phone or whatever. Um, yeah, I think that's what we'll have in 2050. And I assume in that case there'll be no more uh, car accidents, right? I mean, if everybody's programming the destination. We got these smart cars. There shouldn't be accidents. So that I think that'll be a positive. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know what phone. Like I did tell my wife when we had that conversation. I said, you know, that said, everybody in the world carries a computer around in their pocket. So if I had told you in 1980, what would 2020 be like? Well, everybody's got a computer in their pocket. You'd have been like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. So I guess in a certain sense, we'd still do amazing things here in 2020. I think there's going to be a whole lot more uh, like virtual reality stuff. I don't. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be, and I, I don't want to be the old man on the on the lawn. Uh, but I, I do think there comes a point where it's it's not. I don't know. It's not completely healthy that you're. If if you get to a place where your very best friend is a computer and your your significant other to some degree is an artificial being, I don't know that that's probably how things were intended to be. Maybe I'm overreacting to what it will be like. I just kind of wonder. Yeah, boy, this is deep, man. I didn't think we'd get this deep that quick. Um, but, you know, you think about it, like, I mean, how foreign would it have seemed in 1988, just for the random year? All right, so I'm 12 years old in 1988, that you would go to McDonald's or Walmart and not deal with a single human being. You know, you would go in, you would get your stuff, you would ring yourself up, you would pay yourself, you would get your receipt, and you would walk out the door. You never have to speak to a human being. I mean, if I told you that, you'd be like, ah, oh, I don't know. 
but it's just so accepted now, right? Yeah, well, or, and, and I, I, I won't, I've almost caught myself not wanting to go to stores where I can't do a self-checkout. And that's not good, but now there's yeah. one, there's one there's a couple places that I go here where I, you know the people are really nice and they're nowhere close to that uh, they're nowhere close to that point where they're gonna have you know self checkout and stuff like that and and I catch myself having what's called a conversation with them and oh, and, so and it's pleasant you know it's okay but like I'll go to, I'll go to Kroger to get stuff and. I, it doesn't matter whether I have two items or a hundred and two items. I am going through the self checkout. I'm not talking to anybody. Yeah. I've got my headphones on, <laughs> and I realize this is this is not. If I if you could go back to 1980 and tell my parents, who are still with us, thank God, if you could tell them this is what it's going to be like in 40 years, they would have said no way. <laughs> well, I did. I was in Target the other day. Uh, and there's a Target on Highway 280 where I live in, in Birmingham. And it's a, you know, one of the bigger Targets. It's got like 70 checkout lanes. And on each end, it's got the self-checkout, right? And my wife and I were in there, and it was one of the rare times where there wasn't like a million people in there. And there was a girl standing at a register, and then the self-checkout was open, and we chose to go to the self-checkout. So the girl's just standing at the register, you know, working. She's just standing there by herself. <laughs> And I told my wife, I said, I felt like we kind of rejected her as a human being because we went to self-checkout. My wife looked at me and said, I really don't think she cares, right? <laughs> 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 You're probably right. She doesn't care. She's the same whether she's ringing us up or not, right? <laughs> so the, the weird thing is you keep hearing more and more about these advances in these, uh, I mean, they call them sex robots, but the more that you read about it, the more that that you they're they're trying to make them where they can learn the person that is buying them and so that and not just sexually but just in general be pleasing and i think man that that's that's where we're kind of getting close to the end of civilization right there right yeah i, I would agree uh, i don't think even in 2050 i'm going to be to that point um but you know you <laughs> you never say never because you don't know how uh, <laughs> how things are going to evolve. Right. Um, but yeah, I, I, that's one of the, I don't think I'm ever going to get on that boat. I think, I think we're going to keep that one strictly human. So, um, uh, yeah, you're right. If, if we ever get to uh, the fact that society is filled with that, I think maybe we've gone one step too far. We've been at some George Orwellian movie of some sort. <laughs> There's no doubt. That, that's jumping the shark. Um, all right. Well, <laughs> before people get just completely angry at me, we'll talk some football. Um, National championship game is Monday night. We'll start there. At the beginning of the season, this is the first time I'm I'm uh, I'm older than I want to admit to being. Uh, at the beginning of the season, I thought I saw something in LSU in Week One. I remember telling you this, and uh, it's the first time that I've ever been right. I, I th thought that I saw a team that nobody was talking about look like a championship team, and I'll be damned if they're not one win away from getting there. Um, LSU and Clemson on Monday night is probably the first championship game in ten years you haven't covered. But uh, what do you what do you expect? I expect a shootout. Honestly, um, now I will say this: LSU's defense has been better of late, and I initially thought maybe it was a little schedule aided. Um, really, from the end of that Ole Miss game, the second half of that Ole Miss game on, um, their, their defense played a little bit better, and that also coincided when Grant Delpit came back. So I didn't know if it was Delpit or if it was um, just scheduled, 
Jacob Hester, uh, the former LSU great, was on our show, and he said that one thing they quit doing, the Bay Miranda liked to play a lot of quarters coverage, and they just, they didn't, they didn't play it well. So he just scrapped that and went with less of that, and that was another reason they played better. So I do think LSU's defense has improved from the wise mid-season, late-season, um, but I still think Trevor Lawrence shook the rust off against Ohio State, and he'll be a little bit sharper in that game. So I expect a shootout. I think Burrow and Lawrence will duel, but I just think LSU's offense is too much. I watched that Clemson defense against Ohio State, and Ohio State's a good offense, but it's not LSU's. I just do not think that secondary can keep up with those receivers. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I don't think this LSU team's famous last words. I don't think this LSU team is beatable. They don't, they don't look that, excuse me, they don't look that way. They certainly do not look that way. I, you know, look, I watched them play the closest game they've played all year in person. Well, I shouldn't say that. The Auburn game is the closest game they've played all year. Um, but the Alabama game, when Alabama was staging that comeback in the second half, was one of the few times that year, this year, where you felt like, wow, man, LSU, they could actually lose a game here. And really, in that Alabama game, was the first time I watched them and thought, well, this defense is going to cost them a game because Alabama moved the ball so easily in the second half on them. But you know, it's a good Alabama offense until it's under the rules in there. So, yeah. um, I, you know, when, when they walked out of Bryant-Denny Stadium and never really blinked at Alabama, the way Alabama came back in the second half, that was the time where I thought the same thing you're saying right now. I'm not sure that's a beatable football team. Burrow is so good. They can run the ball. Burrow can run the ball. You have to defend his feet. He uh, he has a stable of receivers, as you just mentioned. Uh, Moss, the tight end, is really a receiver. He's he's an absolute threat. They're very good up front. Their scheme, I'll give Orgeron credit, through 14 games, he has kept his hands out of it, and they go pedal to the metal from, from snap to from, from buzzer to buzzer. And like you said, I think defensively they've gotten better. I think... And I made a lot of Ole Miss people mad when I said this. I think people made too much of that second half of the Ole Miss game. I said it at the time. I still believe it. You know, you got to go back and remember that was seven days after that emotional game in Tuscaloosa where Alabama gave LSU all LSU possibly wanted. And for LSU to finally beat Alabama, it had been, what, eight years? Uh, for LSU... Uh, yeah, it's 11. Yeah, yeah it had been, it'd been eight years of... Those sons of bitches are the hurdle that we can't get over, and we finally got over it. And so there was jubilation. There was relief. They had some injuries. They weren't 100% coming to Oxford. I, I doubt if emotionally they were 100%. I doubt if mentally they were 100%. And they came in, and they blew Ole Miss out in the first half. And you can't convince me that on that night in, in middle of November – at halftime in Vaught-Hemingway Stadium that they did not hit the off button. I know that everyone says they don't, and coaches say, no, no, we're focused for 60 minutes and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you're human. And then I think when there's that deal when they went to hit the button and get going again, they couldn't quite do it. And I don't want to take anything away from John Rice Plumley. He had a tremendous second half, but that was not against – LSU's A team, if you will, they were they weren't locked in, and ever since then they've been really good. I mean, you know, you look, going back to the the way that they 
destroyed Arkansas to the way that they uh, beat up on Georgia and, and then Oklahoma. They've, they've been they've been really, really good since then. So I just kind of dismissed that second half in Oxford. Maybe it was a wake up call that they needed a little bit. I don't know, but I I don't think. I don't think had Ole Miss and Arkansas played a week later, I don't think Ole Miss could have replicated what it did on the ground against LSU. You know, it's, I, I heard a funny story. A guy told me um, from the LSU sideline there at the uh, Vanderbilt game, and he was down on the sideline in Nashville. And he said, you know, that game had had some success moving the ball against LSU. And so the defense comes to the sideline, and, you know, they sit down in their, in their positions and, they get the, the first thing they do, obviously, is the managers, the trainers come in and they hand out the water bottles and the towels and the Gatorade. And Aranda's talking to his defensive coaches that are on the field and they're on the headsets. And he said, you know, the defensive coaches break off and they're about to go talk to their position groups. He goes, the defensive line coach gets the three sport and he squats down and he takes the top off the marker. And he says, right as he puts the marker on the board, the LSU fans in the stadium go crazy because the offense had scored. And he said, Every defensive lineman just hung their head, like, "My God, we can't get a break." Yeah, and he said it kind of. He said it kind of drove it home to me there that this is still really Rashad Lawrence, uh, Chase. All those guys are still really, really good players. Um, they just don't get a break, and, and there's some truth to that. I think I don't think that's an excuse. I do think it's a reason that you, you know, he, uh, to his point, he goes, they didn't even have time to get Gatorade on them, and the defensive line coach had zero time to make any adjustments. They just basically had to to get back out on the field. And his point was, sometimes look what they did in the second half because a lot of times the only time they could make meaningful adjustments was at halftime because that was the only time they had extended time on the sidelines or extended time off the field. So uh, I do think the offense, as great as it was, it was one of the best we've ever seen in college football, hampered that defense a little bit. If LSU wins, what does it, what does it say for – what does it say for the league? What does it say for that program? What does it say for Ed Orgeron? How does it change the dynamics of the league moving forward? Because this league for the past uh, 10, 11 years has been all about Alabama and about chasing Alabama. And I know Auburn, you know, had, had, a, had, a, had a moment there and, and Georgia got close. If, if LSU gets it, uh, what, what is, does, it does it do anything to, to change the dynamics of the league moving forward? I mean, I think it just shows you that this is not the ACC. It's a one-team league. Alabama is not just the, the, the only team in this league. It's not the Big 12 where Oklahoma is the only team. It's not the Big 10 where Ohio State's the only team. But there is there is legitimate depth in this league. It's not just, you know, a tagline that, you know, people say it's the SEC is better. Uh, the SEC is better. So, you know, I, I you've had, just in the playoff era, you've had Alabama, Georgia, and LSU now playing in a championship game, and Alabama has won one, and if LSU wins one, you've got two of those three have won a championship game, and one of the only reasons Georgia didn't is because they were playing an SEC team. So, you know, I, I, I think it speaks very highly of the SEC, and I, I do think if LSU closes this deal out, you've got to start the discussion, and we love to do this in sports radio, and in the media, is this the best team we've ever seen? I mean, uh, you know, I haven't taken the time to go back at well, I don't know. I haven't taken the time to go back and look at but, I mean, find me a team that's been more tested. If they can beat, I don't have this in front of me, but if they can beat Clemson, they will obviously have beaten the number two team in the nation. Uh, they will have beaten the number four team in the nation. Uh, Florida is a top ten team. Alabama will finish in the top ten. Auburn will finish in the top fifteen. Um, Georgia will finish in the top ten. I mean, I, I don't know a team that has gone through 
more quality opponents through a 15-game schedule or, you know, back in the day, a 13- or 14-game schedule than what LSU would have. They would have had the best player in the country, the best one of the best units in the country in the offense. I'm fine. I'm fine if people want to throw them in that discussion with whoever you put them in there with, you know, some of those old Miami teams or, you know, the uh, one of the Alabama teams, whichever one you pick out of that group, or, um, you know, the, uh, the, the USC teams under Pete Carroll, or even go back to the Oklahoma teams under Switzer, Nebraska teams under Osborne. Uh, I'm, I think they belong in that discussion. Yeah, and, you know, I was trying to think as you were talking about those teams, I was trying to think what, what was the best Alabama team. I was trying to think. Uh, you were talking about the, the, the USC teams. I don't think that Texas team with Vince Young, I would put it in that. Even they won that huge game that everyone will always remember, but I don't remember that team as being, yeah. you know, I, I wouldn't put that team there. They had one of the most incredible days. Um, the weird thing about the Alabama deal is the only undefeated team is not the best team. I mean, you would generally say, oh, okay, well, yeah, the 09 team went undefeated. Well, that wasn't Saban's best team. Um, you know, the, they just talked about a lot in this state, and it creates, you know, a lot of people pick a different, you know, one team or another. I think um, you get a lot of people that would say the, uh, the 15 team that Jay Coker quarterbacked. The one that lost to Ole Miss um, in Tuscaloosa. Yeah. Yeah, if you remember, Cooper didn't start that game. Saban started Cooper Bateman and tried to change up the offense a little bit. And Alabama turned it over, what, five times in that game, if I remember right. Yeah. And uh, and then Coker took the starting job back, and he never lost a game. That, that's the weird thing is that team has one loss. Coker's undefeated as a starter. Um, I, I've always felt the 12 team. Was extreme. I thought they were good enough offensively. They were good offensively, not great. But you had A.J. McCarron, Amari Cooper, um, Eddie Lacy, Barrett Jones was on that offensive line. Um, I, and their defense was really, really good. I, I've, I've always kind of been partial to that 12 team that beat Notre Dame like a drum down in Miami. Their only loss, if you'll remember, was to Johnny Mandel at Bryant Denny. And it came after they played that huge night game then in Baton Rouge. And, and uh, A.J. McCarron hit T.J. Yeldon on that little swing pass. He runs it in, then they break LSU's heart. And they have to come get right back down the next week and play Manziel and, and Texas A&M. And I think A&M jumped out like 20 to nothing on Alabama. And Alabama fought all the way back and lost it at the end. That was their only loss. So I've always kind of thought that might be the best team. But you can make arguments for a lot of them. If Clemson wins, and it's amazing how no one's giving Clemson much of a shot in this thing, and Clemson's been awfully good since about September 20th. If uh, if Clemson wins, has the torch passed from Alabama to Clemson as the top program in the country? Yeah, I think you got to say it has. I mean, that would be three out of four, um, and Dabo Swinney has beaten Alabama for those, uh, two of those, and he's beaten the SEC for all of those. So I, I, I don't know how you can make an argument otherwise. Um you know, it would be the dominant program. Uh, it would be the current dynasty. Not to say Alabama's is over, but you would have to say Clemson certainly has one going. And um, it, it's the program that everybody, you know, for years I think a lot of people tried to copy the Alabama program. I think Georgia tried to, you know, hire, even though Kirby Smart was one of theirs, I think they were trying to replicate what Nick Saban did at Alabama. And Kirby has tried to do that. And I think a lot of schools have made hires with that in mind. I think Texas A&M might have tried to do that with Jimbo Fisher. But, um, you know, Clemson's done it a different way. And you wonder how many people start trying to copy the, the Clemson blueprint rather than the Alabama blueprint if this happens. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's much of an argument to the other side that if Clemson wins this thing, you got to consider them 
the best program in the country. And you may already. I mean, you know, just being there again might be enough. All right, we'll we'll move on. Right, so you're you're picking LSU. I'm picking LSU. We'll see what happens. I, I think it's I think it's close, but I think LSU's covering the line. I I don't think it's a twenty point game. But if you told me it was a thirteen point game, I'd buy it. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna do on that one. I, th- I think I think it's about how I feel about it, which uh, is probably extremely good news for Clemson. We did feel that way. Congratulations to uh to to Dabo. Um, yeah, I got, I got to imagine, but I haven't looked at this, and I maybe too early to look at it anyway. I got to imagine the betting public would be all over LSU, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I think most of the money is coming in on LSU, which is it's kind of scary. I haven't even researched to see where the sharp money came in early. I think, yeah. I think it came in early on on LSU because the line went up. Because the yeah. line went up, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I would imagine your money going LSU. Their just ability to score quickly is what, like we talked about. Yeah, just, so scary. Yeah. Uh, were you surprised at Tua Tungavaloa going pro? I, you know, I, I kind of went back and forth on that. Um, first of all, I hate it that he had to make this type of decision under these circumstances. Um, he deserved better, and it's unfortunate that, you know, that injury kind of trapped him in a lot of ways. Um up until the very last moment, I thought he was actually coming back. And I think, I don't know that his family will ever say this publicly, but I think the plan was for him to come back. And over the past weekend, he went to a specialist in New York uh, to have his hip examined. And basically, it is my understanding, what they were basically looking at is that blood flow issue. So for those, I'll just do a quick recap for those that might be in the dark on this, but um, they had to reduce his hip. They had to put his hip back in socket on the field, which are actually in the uh, locker room, not on the field. Uh, in the locker room in Starkville before he left in an ambulance. And they do that so that they can reduce the amount of time that there isn't blood flowing in, the, in that hip joint, which is what ended Bo Jackson's career. So for those that worried about the Bo Jackson injury being similar to the two atomic blow injury, what happened with Bo was he popped his hip back in place. Um, and he thought everything was okay. Well, there was restricted blood flow, and it, it ended his career. And that was the immediate concern for Tua Tungabora. So they, by Dr. Lyle Kane, getting that head back into socket probably within 30 minutes of the injury, that would greatly reduce that, but they couldn't immediately say that it wouldn't be an issue. So this is my understanding was what this appointment in New York was all about, was to check that. And I think they got such exceedingly good news in that doctor's appointment that it might have changed the course. That if they were up in the air, that that news probably um, gave them the confidence to go ahead and jump in the draft, thinking everything was headed in the right direction. So I think I think the family was a little bit up in the air before that trip to New York. Because the Domino tweet, the day or so, and look, I, I, yep. I, I know that reading into too much on Twitter is is uh, it can be can be foolhardy, but. Come on. I mean, that tweet was clearly trying to tell us something, and the tweet implied something really big. And the only thing that would be so big that it would be that big, I mean, Alabama has guys that leave for the pros every single year, and they have guys that stay sometimes. The only thing that would have risen to that standard would have been Tua staying. Yeah, and I said that the day it, the, that tweet hit while we were on the air. And it was right after Dylan Moses, if you remember, it was right after Dylan Moses announced he was coming back. And Alabama tweeted that. 
and we were talking about kind of the cryptic nature of it. And I said, look, the only reason the official Alabama account sends that tweet is to oppose the Royals coming back. And a lot of Alabama fans now are a little upset. They felt like they were getting trolled a little bit by their own football team account. But I, that, that to me shows you what I think was the conventional thinking in that football building was that he was coming back. And I think he, again, this is just conjecture. He's not said this. He hinted at it uh, at his press conference, but didn't flat out say it. I think they got such exceedingly good news in that initial doctor's appointment that they felt more confident that whatever the doctors in the NFL were going to look at, they were going to be satisfied with. And I think ultimately, if he was healthy enough to go to the NFL, you just got to know your clock is probably ticking on that hip. So you need to get in the NFL as quick as you can and play as much as you can before that hip becomes a permanent issue for him. So um, it's the smart move. I mean, if he's healthy enough to go to the NFL, there's no doubt going to the NFL is the smartest move. And I have to think, and this happens in the NBA more than it happens in the NFL, but I have to think that some team, because you know he talked to a lot of GMs and he talked to a lot of people that, player personnel people and stuff. I have to believe that somebody said, hey, if you get a, if you get a good medical report, we're taking you. We, we know what you can do, and, and if you're going to heal completely, we've seen enough. We're, we're, we're taking you with the fifth pick or the sixth pick, and it might even be your Miami Dolphins. Uh Someone's going to say, hey, we're going to take you. Don't go back to college and get hurt where now you have another injury to re- recover from. Because I would hear people say, well, if he falls you know, to the middle of the first round, he, he risks losing a lot of money. And he does. He absolutely does. There's a lot more money going first than there is 15th. No question. But there's a lot more money going 15th than there is going late in the second round. Yeah. Yeah, or not going. Or not going. You know, getting hurt, not getting drafted. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I will say this. When Alabama played Michigan in the Citrus Bowl, um, Miami Dolphins owner Stephen Ross, who is a Michigan alum, and Booster, who was at that game, but he also had Miami Dolphins team president Tom Garfinkel and general manager Chris Greer, who are not Michigan graduates or Alabama graduates. Um, I mean, I don't think it's accidental those guys were there. And... I would not be shocked at all if they had conversations to us that he talked to I asked him point blank how many NFL GMs if he could estimate it and he said too many. So I, I, I think I think he did his homework. Um, and there is no it does not benefit the NFL GMs at all to mislead him. There's no benefit to that for them to mislead him. So I think he did his homework, and I think apparently the answer they got back from those NFL GMs gave them enough peace of mind. I will say this. I don't know what Miami will do. They've got three picks in the first round, so they've got some tradeability. Um, you know, they could potentially wait and see if he falls and then trade up. I don't think he would fall to 18, which is where their second pick is. Um, but I guarantee you, Neil, by draft day, uh, Detroit, who is in front of Miami, Washington, who is in front of Miami, they will have the Dolphins convinced that they're drafting him. <laughs> trying to get some of those draft picks from Miami. So uh, I think the top five in this draft, you know Burrow's going one. Chase Young will go early, but I think after that, it will be interesting to see if Miami buys any of these bluffs from Detroit and, and Washington. I'm, I'm pulling up draft order right now because it, it, I, it's the most fascinating thing when, when you start looking at the draft. Because Washington, they would have a hard time telling Miami, hey, we're taking Tua right here at 
at, at what is it? So Cincy and then Washington two, Detroit three, the Giants four, Miami five. You got to think that Cincy, like you said, they're, they're, they're going to take Joe Burrow. Um, no doubt. Washington, if you're Washington. They should take Chase Young. They should take Chase Young unless they're guilty of overthinking it. Detroit could legitimately take a quarterback. I mean, I know they have a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, Matt Stafford's got a, bro- yeah, he's got, a bro- he's got a broken back right now. I mean, he broke his back this year. I mean, that's a serious injury. The the Giants made a mistake last year, but it's, no way. it's too early yeah. for them to – yeah. And, and then there's Miami, and then you have the Chargers at 5-11, and 11, who probably would be looking to trade up and get a quarterback as well. The early, yeah, I mean, the Philip Rivers appears done there. Yeah, I think I think Phillip's done. His, his comments certainly – led one to believe yeah. it's done. And then Carolina's right there, and I think they're going to move on from Cam Newton. Um, Arizona's got their quarterback. Well, yeah, yeah, they've got two different one in the last two drafts in the first round, so they probably will not do that this year. It appears that they got their quarterback this last time. I, I yeah, I think, I think Kyler Murray. I do too, yeah. I liked his He played very well in the second half of the season, yeah. Yeah, so – yeah, the draft for the first time in a long time will be fun. One of the things that's going to happen, I've told people that it's it's Joe Burrow, in my opinion, and yours too, is going to win the national championship on Monday night. He won the Heisman, he won the Unitas, he won everything that you can win as a college quarterback, and now we'll begin the four month tear him down portion. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Does he have the arm strength? Does he have this? Does he have that? How come he was so average as a junior? All that stuff's coming, yep. and and. Uh, you know, it's it's not beyond a team to overthink it. All right, and I tell you, Tua coming back, that was going to happen to him, too. I mean, you know, people have been in love with him other than the injuries. But these, you know you know, as well as I do, they don't stay in love forever. They start to work to the boards. And I think that would have happened to Tua Tonga Valora had he come back to Alabama. So, I don't know, it's fascinating. Miami's got two, and Miami's got pick five, pick 18, and they don't know because Houston is still playing. They don't know where that pick will fall. Uh, in the backside of the draft, but it's going to be probably somewhere in the late 20s. So, you know, and then they got, uh, um, I'd have to go back and make sure, but uh, I think they've got two picks in each round after that. So they've got plenty of picks to trade around should they need to do so. So, yeah, I, I do think that'll be the most fascinating thing on draft night is seeing, you know, after you get past Washington and two, because they did go to Wayne Haskins in the first round last year, and uh, it's hard to come back and do quarterback again. But I will say this for Miami. You know, they've got Ryan Fitzpatrick who can play again next year. And it would be a good place for two time the ball to go because they've got the ability to build with cap space and picks. And you wouldn't have to be on the field, by the way. You can play Ryan Fitzpatrick for another year behind a building offensive line you can and let him it. take the beating. Yeah, you would shouldn't. Let Ryan Fitzpatrick take the beating instead of Tua Tagovailoa, and let him rehab and let him be 100 percent, or as close to whatever his new 100 percent is when he's ready to play. And he, maybe he doesn't start until week 10. Yeah, or or, or 2021. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, there's no rush. Well, what's the rush? You've 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 torn down to build this thing back up. Why rush it now? I mean, you you've done the hard part. The hard part's tearing it down. Why rush it? Well, I know what Dolphins jersey you'll be getting in April if it comes to that. And I, and I won't blame you. It has nothing to do with being an Alabama guy. It's that two is two is one of those people, though. And it's amazing because think of all the great players that have come through the SEC and all the great players that have come through Alabama, and yet his 
there's something about him that we all are kind of drawn to. It's the way that he plays. It's the joy that he plays with. It's And now he has this really compelling storyline. I love watching Burrow, too. I mean, both of these guys, when they come out, when they play on Sundays, I'm watching. I, I want Joey Burrow. Oh, yeah. I want Burrow to do well in the pros. I like I like his story. I like I like everything about him, uh, and I like everything about Tua. I want Tua to do well. I I, I think it's a good story, and you, you'd love to see those guys have have really great NFL careers and and um, all that stuff. I mean, Tua is one of those guys going to sell a ton of jerseys. It, he makes so much sense in a market like Miami. That if if you're the Dolphins, if, if there's a way for you to take Tua and you don't, you have to have a really good reason not to take him. Yeah, yeah. You better pray nobody grabs him at nine or ten, and he becomes a Pro Bowler, All Pro, All of Famer, Super Bowl quarterback. Because um, I mean, because your whole plan has you tore this thing down for him, and you can't help that he got hurt, and then you also can't help that you you. And I like Brian Flores, the Miami coach. You can't help that you gave him an 0 16 roster and he went 5 and 11 with it. I mean, I thought the guy did a tremendous job. coaching job. Oh, he did, man. He did a hell of a I job. Mean, yeah, I mean, after they traded away Kenyon Drake, who went on to Arizona and had a really good season, Lincoln Fitzpatrick, who went into Pittsburgh and had a good season, they went 5 and 4. After, not only did you tear down the roster, but then you trade Larry Tunsil yeah. and. It's pitch. I mean, you trade all the good, almost all the good players you have left, and he's still at five and eleven. I thought he did a tremendous coaching job. You do wonder what the narrative was in the minds of the front office that they, they trade away a, an elite left tackle, they trade away an, yep. an elite cornerback, they're trading away these elite pieces that are very hard to accrue in the NFL, and it's almost like, okay, look, we got. We are going to lose these games now, damn it. And then they start winning, and you know you can't walk into the locker room and say, listen, uh, we, we told you about this. We didn't hire you to win. I mean, he's there to, to win games and stuff. Yet you know in the back of their minds, they're like, this is not going exactly the way we sort of intended this to go in all seriousness. Yeah, and you, you watch enough NFL to know to take a roster that's built to go 0-16 and go 5-11 and is incredibly difficult. I mean, that is not easy to do, not easy at all to do. I think Flores must be a pretty good football coach. But getting the quarterback right, I mean, you know, Carson, my son, and I sort of adopted a team. We adopted the Bears, and last year the Bears were pretty good, and this year the Bears paid for a quarterback mistake in the draft, and you see it. Yep. You see it every week, and you read the stories about what happened in Chicago. John Fox was the coach at the time. And he wanted Deshaun Watson, who had just won a national championship at Clemson with one of the probably all-time great teams that had won an all-time great game. And uh, he'd beaten Alabama, gotten over the hump, had knocked off the knocked the king off the top of the hill, all those cliches and everything. It applied to Deshaun Watson. And all Deshaun Watson has ever done in his life is win. That's yep. all he does. He just wins. He just beats people. And yet they had four months to analyze him and think about him, and they brought Patrick Mahomes in. And Mahomes had a phenomenal workout in Chicago, finished it by doing a lot of those kind of crazy no-look passes. And, you know, his dad had pitched in Chicago, all that stuff. There was, there was a, a really compelling storyline, and yet Ryan Pace, the GM of the Bears, got it in his head that – 
Trubisky was this guy that could could be molded. He had this tremendous IQ and 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 all of these things and and uh, you know he had personality and charisma and all of that stuff off the charts and and yeah he hadn't played a lot of quarterback and and maybe his his accuracy isn't there yet but it's gonna get there and we're gonna we're gonna outsmart you and man that it's easy to make fun of people when they do it but it happens all the damn time and and uh, you got to get it right and and that's why if you're if you're the dolphins or if you're the lions or whoever up there you 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 got to figure it out and, and you've got to have some conviction but you can't overthink it and it's cra- crazy too like so trubisky i mean they're pretty good um what that was his rookie year last year right and they go to the playoffs it was his second year second year okay second year so what's amazing to me though is and you see this with these quarterbacks they come out and they maybe have a good rookie year or maybe like Trubisky you know they, they find it a little bit in the second year you give these NFL defensive coordinators time to break these guys down and it's amazing how second year third year on once these coordinators find their flaws those guys are locked down I mean they, they can't do anything in the NFL anymore and it just makes you respect the Tom Brady's and Peyton Manning's and you know, the quarterbacks like that that did it for such a long time. And the NFL yeah. never figured out how to completely shut those guys down uh, because those NFL coordinators are amazing at doing that, at finding that flaw, finding a way to, to just completely take a quarterback out of the game. And once the book's out on them, every one of those NFL coordinators has it figured out. And you're done. Man, you're done in that league. And you get you you get out quick in that league. It makes you appreciate the guys that you wouldn't even you know not to get into the whole elite thing, but it makes you appreciate just how good Eli Manning was for as long as he was good. Yeah, you know yeah. he had a run. I mean, it's, yeah. it's hard to have a run in that league. I mean, look at the quarterbacks that just can't have a run in that league. And, and you're right, the great ones. And I think we saw the window close on a couple of great ones over the weekend. I think we'll look back in five, ten years and go, man. Drew Brees was amazing. You oh, know, yeah. Tom, Absolutely. Tom Brady was incredible. I mean, you can have the GOAT conversation, and I think that's so hard to do because you're comparing different styles and stuff. But those guys survived in a league for that. Phillip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger, Eli Manning, those guys survived in a league for a decade plus where, like you said, there was all this technology to figure out every weakness they had and then pick it apart. And those guys were able to survive. And, you know, and you, you see what, like, Trubisky and guys like that that have a lot of natural talent, and they just can't kind of can't kind of get over the hump and got to get it right. I, I just think, too, as a winner, and he's that guy that if, if I'm an NFL team all the way up at the number one pick in the draft, if I'm Cincinnati, and I get the love affair with Burrow, and don't blame them at all if they take Burrow, and I'll be surprised if Burrow doesn't have a very good career. But I've got to dig deep on Tua before I do it. I've got to make sure that I've yeah. done my research. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, they got to do the homework. And Burrow, and Burrow otherwise, would be such a great – I mean, that is going to be a great story out of the way. Hometown team, kids from Athens, Ohio, and I, I thought what he did for that city – uh, on, on the Heisman stage was tremendous, and it, it you know it caused a lot of money to be raised for people that are unfortunately you know fighting hunger and things like that. They're in poverty, um, and, and to come play in his hometown team, I mean that's just an amazing story. So good for Nick. In a way, I hope Burrow goes to Cincinnati because that's such a good story. And um, I don't have any affinity for that franchise at all. I don't care one way or the other. But I just think that's a really cool story if you end up there. So. 
Tua is not going to be the quarterback at Alabama next year, who will be? Oh, that's a great question. So, you know, Mac Jones has played really, really well. Um, now, he's throwing to a slew of NFL receivers, and that helps anybody. We, we did an exercise on our show where, you know, we had a pretty good representative sample of starts. He had four starts this year. One was against Arkansas at home. One was against uh, Western Carolina at home. One was against Auburn on the road, and one was against Michigan in a bowl game. So you had, you know, low-tier SEC opponent at home, you know, at a conference nothing game, really good opponent on the road in a hostile environment rivalry game, and quality opponent neutral site. So I thought you had a really good cross-section there of, um, of starts. So I took his numbers in those four games and just multiplied by three to get a 12-game schedule. He could have been second in the SEC behind Burrow. Now, Burrow's numbers dwarfed his, but they dwarfed a lot of people's. Uh, but he would have been about a 3,500-yard. His numbers were very, I'll tell you what, who they compared to very favorably were Justin Herbert. His numbers were almost identical to Justin Herbert's at Oregon. Um, so, Mike Jones is a very capable quarterback. As I tell people, you know, when he took over the starting job, people talk like, the, like this kid was just some cast-off that ended up in Tuscaloosa. This is a Nick Saban recruit. This is not, you know, Nick Saban didn't just throw a scholarship up in the air and Burrow caught it like a garter belt at a, at a, at a wedding. Well, yeah, this is, oh, excuse me, Mike Jones. Everybody recruits. Yeah, he's a, yeah. yeah. This kid can play. He's not a bad player. He's not a, just some nothing quarterback. But he'll have to hold off Bryce Young. Bryce Young is the next hot recruit. He was coming in from California. He was the uh, MVP of the Army All-Star game. Looked really good in that game. Um, and he's, people call him a right-handed Tua Tagovailoa. He's a little bit shorter, like Tua. He's even shorter than Tua, but I think he's five, legitimately 5'10", five, 5'11". Five, um, throws a beautiful, accurate ball. Um, he's really, really good in the RPO game. It's what he's played. It's what everybody's playing now. So I think there'll be a battle between those two. I think it'll come down to those two, and I think Nick Saban has learned uh, going through the Tagovailoa and Jalen Hurts uh, saga, but you know you you'll have to keep that thing going into the fall so you don't lose one of them because Mac Jones will have a degree in his pocket and has not indicated at all that he wants to transfer. They don't have that option. He'll have a degree in his pocket, and should he bolt bolt after spring, I think he would be a coveted. Like as we talked today, Neil Jake Plum has announced he's leaving, and I know they like that Carson Beck kid, but. Um, I think Mac Jones would fit right in that offense. I think he'd be just fine in the Georgia offense. He could play a lot of places. Oh, we were I mean, for that matter. We were speculating that Lane Kiffin would go after Mac Jones in the in the transfer yeah. portal. Yeah, I mean, for that matter, you know, Joe Burrow's about to leave LSU, and I don't know what their future is at quarterback. Mac Jones can play in LSU. I think he can play a lot of places. So, you know, I think Nick Saban. He's had to. Um, Walk through this minefield before with Hertz and Tagovailoa, and I think he'll—he's figured it out. And I think he'll try to keep both those guys engaged, thinking they are going to be the starter, perhaps all the way up into the USC game next year. Um, yeah, we, we talked about Lane Kiffin. Let's go there for a minute because I know a lot of our listeners would love to get your take on this, and we're forty-three minutes in, uh, which I've, I'm keeping you longer than I intended to. Thanks so much for your time. That's quite all right. I'm sure. So. Lane Kiffin gets the Ole Miss job. I think you thought, like I did, that 
hey, this, if you're going to take a risk, now's the time to take it. And Kiffin has a tremendous upside, and, and uh, he's put together already the makings of a really good staff here. He's not done yet, but still has a couple spots to fill, maybe three spots to fill. But he's, he's put together a, a really solid staff. He very clearly has connections all over the game. Mississippi State beats Ole Miss in that Egg Bowl, the, the whole piss-and-miss game and that everyone will talk about. But Ole Miss, Ole Miss fires Matt Luke. Uh, a week later, they hire Lane Kiffin. And Mississippi State has a uh, tumultuous December, a fight inside their program that uh, was probably emblematic of some other stuff that had been happening inside that program, inside that locker room over the course of months. Uh Schrader gets his, his uh, eye, eye socket uh, broken, can't play in the bowl game. They lose the bowl game to a very average Louisville team and subsequently fire Joe Moorhead. Your opinion as a guy who's really dialed in, who's watched a lot of SEC football, who gets it better than most, if Ole Miss had kept, if nothing changes, if the fight still happens, if Louisville still kicks State's tail in, in Nashville, but Matt Luke is still the head coach at uh, at Ole Miss. Does Mississippi State make a change? I don't think so because um, it looked, at least from the outside looking in, like a lot of people wanted Moorhead gone. And had Ole Miss made that extra point and won that game at overtime at Starkville, I don't think Moorhead survives the weekend. I don't. I don't think he makes it past you know the Black Friday. And. Uh, so I think, you know, it's one of those weird things. I see it in this state because there are a lot of Auburn fans disenchanted with Gus Malzahn, but there's nothing they love more than beating Alabama and making sure they don't go to the playoffs. And I'm sure state fans felt the same way. I'm not crazy about my coach. And even though this, yeah, I'm in this weird position where I want to beat my rival, but it's also a j- game that could save his job, you know, I'm, I'm still going to pull to beat my rival. That's how much I hate him. So, you know, I'm sure there are a lot of state fans that drove home that Thanksgiving night thinking, God, I loved beating Ole Miss, especially in some weird fashion like that that breaks their heart and maybe getting their coach fired. But I'm still not happy where we are. And then you, so, so you know, you, you've got that dynamic. And then Ole Miss, whether Lane Kiffin's great or not, and we'll see, they hired a coach that made him a national story. I mean, people are talking about Ole Miss yeah. all over the place. Ole Miss, if Ole Miss hires, I, I don't know, Neil, give me, give me two guys that were right behind Lane Kiffin. Uh, Elijah, Elijah Drinkwitz, uh, Drinkwitz, yeah, Billy Napier. Okay, all right. I was going to say Napier because he was up for the state job. Um, Drinkwitz was hired by Missouri. It barely got talked about. So was it going to be? Was it going to be talked about at Ole Miss? Um, Napier, it, that's not going to move the needle. People barely pay attention to that. So whether Wayne Kiffin wins a game at Ole Miss or not, we'll find that out. But it made Ole Miss a national story. And I think that bothered Mississippi State. I think they were like, you know, we love this guy because we beat our rival, and then we let our rival become a national story and hire a quality coach. You know, hire a guy that we know what he's going to do. We do. You don't know what Eli Drinkwitz is going to do. You don't know what Billy Napier is going to do. I think you got a pretty good feel. You know what you did with Lane Kiffin. And he's been a pretty good coach. Um... Yeah, I think that had everything to do with this. I don't think it was the only reason Joe Moorhead got fired, but I think Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss accelerated that firing, no doubt about it. 
I don't think people understand when we get together in July, I think it's in Atlanta this year for SEC Media Days. Yeah. When, when, yeah. We, when we get together at the College Football Hall of Fame and all the media is there for those three or four days, I mean, yeah, Alabama's still a headliner, and LSU will absolutely be a headliner, and, and Georgia will be a headliner. But after that, after those three guys, there won't be a bigger story than Lane Kiffin. I would agree with you. If Mississippi State would do the right thing and hire Mike Leach, um, you know, that, that will yeah, be right up there. But, no, I would agree with you. Lane Kiffin, uh, it, Lane Kiffin is such an interesting guy because he's not a particularly great interview. It's not that he's a great interview. Um, he, he is unpredictable. He's a little socially awkward. You know, he's, he's not real comfortable in that situation. But he's a fascinating guy. People are fascinated with Lane Kiffin for a lot of reasons. And uh, I would 100% agree with you. At this moment, the way it stands right now, uh, Saban and Oldfield are the two biggest stories, and Lane Kiffin is, is story number three. There's, there's no doubt about it in my mind. So we're taping this. It is As, as you and I have this conversation, it is 441 Central Standard Time. Because <laughs> on, on Wednesday, people will probably hear this on Thursday, as of this moment, so if, if something goes wrong, we're 48 and a half minutes into this podcast. You can probably just either listen for comedic value or skip forward. But as of this moment, <laughs> <laughs> Mississippi State has not made a hire. I don't think Billy Napier is going to take the job. He has turned it down on multiple occasions over the course of this week. Uh, I They wanted a judge. He ended up getting the New York Giants job. Uh, good for him. They they were interested in Steve Sarkeesian and may still very well be, but something has happened, obviously, in the last 18 to 20 hours or so to take a lot of that momentum away. And now there's talk that they interviewed, uh, they interviewed Mike Leach. I'll give credit where it's due. Apparently, Bo Bounds of the radio talk show host in Jackson said this on uh, the Feinbaum show. I've not seen anyone refute it, so I'll, I'll give bounds the benefit of the doubt and say that it's correct information. How would Mike Leach do at Mississippi State? You know, uh, I mean, it's an unknown. Uh, I like the hire simply because of this. I've seen Mike Leach in two Mississippi State-like jobs, and he had Texas Tech in a game against Texas that could have propelled into the Big 12 Championship at Texas Tech. Um, and then he had Washington State in a game against Washington in the Apple Cup that could have propelled into the Black 12 championship. And I think there are a lot of similarities in the Texas Tech job in the Big 12 and the Washington State job in the Pac-12 to the Mississippi State job in the SEC. And we've seen it, and we've seen the fact that, you know, his system, his ability to plug-and-play quarterbacks that throw for 5,000 yards levels the playing field a little bit. Is it going to win you a championship at, at Mississippi State? I don't think it's going to, no. But I do think it's going to give you a little bit more consistent product than what it looked like Joe Moorhead was going to give you, maybe more like Dan Mullen gave you, and make you a factor in games. It's going to let you upset some teams you wouldn't normally upset. It's going to have you maybe going into late October, at least in the mix in the SEC West, with Alabama and LSU and Auburn and teams like that. So I think it's a hire that works in those terms. I don't, know that he's, I don't think he's going to take him to the playoffs or win an SEC championship there. But I think he can replicate 
what he's done in Lubbock, Texas, and, and Pullman, Washington, and Starkville, Mississippi. If they want to match the splash, yeah, he. I don't know that he matches it, but he he spreads some water around the the concrete around the pool. There's no question about that. Yeah, I mean, I I had let Neil Joe Judge coached in this city. He was a coach at Birmingham Southern. I, had a, I got a friend that's a news reporter for the ABC station. I do some TV with the ABC station. And the news reporter played football at Birmingham Southern. And he told me, he said, but you're a Dolphins fan. You watch when they play the Patriots. He said, the special teams coach, Belichick talks to him all the time when special teams on the field. He, he walks right up and stands next to Belichick. He goes, I played for that guy at Birmingham Southern. He was my position coach. I said, you got to be kidding me. The Patriots have a guy that coached at Birmingham Southern. He goes, yeah. He went on. And he was an uh, analyst at Alabama after that. I said, I never knew that. <laughs> I didn't know the guy's name. Well, I hadn't heard of him until I had not heard of him until this week. I promise you. Well, he had a hell of a and he's now the, He did, didn't he? He is now the coach of the New York Giants. If, if Mississippi State had hired Joe Judge, I'd have been like, you've got to be kidding me. Joe Judge, Billy Napier is obviously a pretty good football coach. But Mike Leach is the only one realistically they could hire that would get that type of reaction. I agree completely. If they, if Mississippi State hired Mike Leach, it would be a really big national story because he is a quirky, fun guy that people like to pull for because he's not the robotic. It's a little bit like it's a lot like Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin is not the robotic, pre-programmed head coach that refuses to laugh and have fun. Lane Kiffin. Seems like he has fun doing it. And we are so used to the Kirby Smart, Nick Saban, pre-programmed robotic head coaches that just regurgitate answers, that you know, use coaching cliches and things like that. And the guys that are a little bit different are fun to watch. Would, if, if, if it is Sarkeesian, and I haven't seen anybody say that he is out per se, although it certainly feels that way, if it's Sarkeesian from what you've heard about him during his tenure in Tuscaloosa is he ready for it uh, you know the, the word is in Tuscaloosa this go around that uh, he has certainly uh, kept his personal life in order and I'm glad to hear that first of all he, he had a, I mean you know it was an easy punchline but that's a tough thing to deal with man I've, of course I've never dealt with uh, yeah I mean alcoholism that, that's just it's terrible and it, it you know I think in a lot of ways ruined his personal life and started to threaten his professional life surely uh, and, and I don't think that the first time around in Tuscaloosa before he went to Atlanta, I don't think he totally had it under control then. Um, I do think it's under control now, and that's good. But when you look at Sarkeesian, you know, he's so hard to gauge because you take his time at Washington, that was really average. And when you look at what's happened at Washington after him, and that kind of magnifies how average it was. And when you take the time at USC, when he coached one year, he was a nine-win team, which is about normal for USC standards right now. And he got fired five games in the next year because of his personal life. So you have no idea. That was he was three and two. I don't know what he was going to finish. When you take his time, you know, with the Falcons, that's pro offensive coordinator. I don't know what you're going to learn from that. And then you take his time at Alabama, where he's coaching a bunch of pros, he's coaching NFL offensive players. I don't know what you're going to learn from that. So I really, I really don't know what you can learn from Steve Sarkis and what he's done. It's, I, I, don't, I don't even know where I am or what kind of head coach he would be. It's what's so funny about Mississippi State is that they fired Joe Moorhead and they made the mistake of after firing Moorhead, they hold the press conference where they say too much. Um, this is my pet peeve. This is my absolute pet peeve. 
where I'm going with this? Yeah, we're, we're, we're an athletic director gets up and tells you the criteria yep. I'm looking for. And then... Because it, then, yep. when you don't hire a coach with that criteria, you've obviously failed. Yeah. And then, so, so he why, said, why, why does, He said, we want this blue-collar, hard-working, uh, disciplined guy. Okay, so... That puts you in a weird spot if you hire Sarkeesian. Mississippi State's this very, uh, very conservative place. They've, you know, Ole Miss is selling beer at the stadium and at the pavilion, and, and Mississippi State's not. And so you're saying, here's this guy that lost his gig because he showed up to work drunk, and even though he's got it under control, and I'm like you, man. I mean, I'm cheering for anybody who's dealing with any personal demon to get those demons under control, and it sounds like he has, and good for him. But you know that stuff comes up, and so it begs the whole discipline question. And then you, if, if you end up hiring Mike Leach, Mike Leach doesn't fit any of the stuff that you said. It's like, why? No, none. Don't say any of that stuff. Just go, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go out and try to find the very best coach we can find. End of discussion. Yeah, I'm going to find the guy that I think wins the most games as head coach of State University or Mississippi State, School X, Ole Miss, whoever it is. I've never understood. And Jerry Jones, by the way, did the same thing with the Dallas job. Now, he ended up getting the guy that met the criteria he laid out, Mike McCarthy, but I've never understood that because all it does is set you up. Even if you, like, so for instance, you know, you throw out these criteria. I want a sitting head coach. I want a guy that's got head coaching experience. But then I go interview an assistant and absolutely fall in love with this guy. And he is my best option. You, and you still made him look like he was your fourth or fifth choice because he doesn't meet any of the criteria you initially laid out. I mean, it's just unfair to the guy you hire. And it's so unnecessary. Why do you tell people what you're looking for? You're the athletic director. I, you've got the job. I assume you know how to find a head coach. If you don't know how to find a head football coach, you don't need to be an athletic director in the SEC. You shouldn't tell me what you're looking for. Yeah, if, I, I, you got, you've been hired for this. This is your job. If I'm ever hired to advise ADs and presidents and stuff on what to say in those press conferences, it's minimum. Say as little as yeah. possible, in, yeah. out, done. Because, because there's nothing wrong with saying I'm going to find the guy that represents our program the best he can and wins the most football games in the way we think he should win them here at whatever school. Yep. And I'll know that guy when I see him. I'll know him when I see him. There's nothing wrong with that answer. Nothing at all. How big of a deal? Even, and, 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 and if you're pressed to give more details, you know what you say? You say, um, I, I'm not going to put any restrictions on the guy because I want to find the best coach that can win. And I'm not going to stand here and tell you that the coach looks like this or that. I'll know that he's the best coach when I find him. It's, it's a real easy answer. It's, the answer to that is, look, guys, we're in the scoreboard business. Whoever I hire is going to be judged on what happens on the scoreboard. So I'm going to go out and hire, exactly. I'm going to hire the guy that I think gives us the best chance to look best on the scoreboard. The end. Exactly. And, I know. That, and, and that's what's the end of And it starts right now. And, I, you know, I, I could sit here and take your questions, but that's my answer. And uh, when we hire the new guy, you're going to ask me questions about why I hired him, and I'll answer them at that point. And then I'm walking out the door, and everybody can criticize me, but at the end of the day, I'm going to be judged on the hire that I make, not on the press conference. Exactly. It, it, exactly. Absolutely. It's it's just basic stuff. I, uh, I've kept you too long. I'm curious on this. We'll, we'll have lots of time to talk about it because Ole Miss and Alabama don't play until sometime in September. How big of a game will that be for – the Alabama fan base, who I know had a had a very hot and cold uh, relationship with Lane Kiffin, and then 
I'm asking you to kind of read minds here. How big of a game will that be for Nick Saban going against Lane Kiffin? Big. I mean, don't forget we've never lost to a, a former assistant. Uh, that, that record is still alive, and he'll play Kirby Smart, obviously, week three next year. Um, I, I think it'll be big. I, I think Lane Kiffin's still pretty well liked here. I think people are ready for the time to come to an end, but I do think they appreciate what he did for Alabama football. The offenses were good under him. Um, they won championships. I think people kind of liked his bravado a little bit. Of course, he got criticized for play calling. That's any offensive coordinator is going to. But I think people still like Lane Kiffin here and kind of think he's funny and he's a little bit of a sideshow. And, you know, I mean, there were some people that at least stopped to consider the possibility of him replacing Nick Saban if Saban decided to retire while Kiffin was on the staff. So you've digested that. Um, but, you know, I, I think Alabama fans, too, take a lot of pride in the Saban versus his former assistance record, which is undefeated right now. So uh, it'll be a big game in that sense, but it's an opportunity to extend that record a little bit and, you know, kind of remind Lane Kiffin that, uh, that this is going to sound haughty, but to remind Lane Kiffin we're still Alabama and we're this. I mean, that's the way Alabama fans will look at that, no doubt. Yeah, I agree completely. I think it's. I think it actually is going to make games like that that the last couple of years have not been very interesting. They'll suddenly get interesting and fun to talk about. I agree. Yeah. All right. Last thing: uh, your Nationals win a World Series. Now they're into the off season. Uh, Rendon's gone, which you knew would happen. Strasburg stayed, which I think you probably didn't think would happen. And now the the Nationals are supposedly they've had some conversations with uh, the the world's greatest baseball team, the Chicago Cubs, about. Uh, the most handsome player in all of baseball, Chris Bryant. Uh, what, what what are your thoughts about Chris Bryant going to Washington, and and what is what is the package that would be too much? Um, anything that involves Juan Soto is too much. <laughs> are you surprised? So, uh, are, you, are you surprised that Victor Robles is apparently non touchable? Um. Yeah, maybe a little, maybe a little, because you're going to protect anybody. You're going to protect Soto, right? Oh, sure. And um, yeah, if you're Washington, yeah. that's the one guy you're like, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. don't even ask. Don't even bring his name up. Um, and Robles has been good, but he's overshadowed by Soto. I mean, they're, they're the same guy, right? They're coming up at the same time. They're playing in the outfield together, uh, and Soto is is so much better than Robles. So yeah, I'm a little surprised that, that you wouldn't even consider him as part of something that could strengthen your team. Um, but you've obviously got a hole there in the corner, and and I think Bryant would fill it well. It looked like it was either he, the, the two biggest names were him and Josh Donaldson from the Braves. Um, and you know, I went back and forth too, Neil, and I, I still don't know the right answer to this. They could keep Rendon or Strasburg, and everybody tells me they made the right call. You keep the pitching. Um, but boy, our stories are done. I love that guy. I love the way he plays the game. Oh, I do too. I love what he did. What he did for this franchise. But that's the right answer, right? You keep the pitching every time, don't you? Yeah, when it's equal, I, when all things are equal. Well, I mean, I think if you if you felt like realistically you could keep Rendon, I think Rendon they knew was going to be too rich for their blood. That that they, yeah, they yeah. weren't going to be able to do it, and and that you still have Soto's bat in the lineup, and there were going to be other third basemen that were would be on the market. I mean, you know, conceivably, and they're not going to go this route, but conceivably they could have done something short term for Josh Donaldson, and maybe not had a tremendous fall off or whatever. But yeah, you can't you you can't go get 
elite pitching on the market. Look at what Garrett Cole got from the Yankees. I mean, just I an exorbit- yeah. you know, and the Yankees know they're overpaying, but you, you, when you, when he's available, you, you have to go get him. So yeah, I think if you're the nationals and you had the gun to your head and were said, Hey, you can keep one of these two guys, but not both. You very reluctantly would say, okay, we'll, we'll keep Strasburg and uh, we'll keep that starting pitching together. And, and we obviously will, have a soft spot for Anthony Rendon and we'll try to figure it out. And that, that makes the most sense. And they've gone out and they've gotten, you know, Starlin Castro and they've gotten as Cabrera. And I mean, those guys are not going to replace Rendon obviously, but you got some bodies there. What's interesting. I was going to ask you this, then I'll, I'm, I'm just curious. Then I'm going to let you go. I promise. Um, Carter Keboom, when he came up, everybody said, oh, God, watch this kid. He's going to be awesome. And, and look, he's not the first rookie to come up and really struggle. You watched all of that. I didn't. When you watched him, did you say, uh-oh, there's a problem here, or did you just think rookie having, having a hard time? I, I, I'm, I'm, there's a chance that I'm going benefit of the doubt here, but I thought just rookie having a hard time. Because he was so darn, I mean, man, he tore it up um, at the Atomic and the minors, and all the way up to the minors. And, I mean, I would watch it, you know, I watch a lot of their games. And, you know, each night they would talk about, you know, what's going on, you know, the Romano League Report, right? And Bob Carpenter and Fish and Tangela every night are talking about this guy. And I do think there was just a immense amount of pressure on him when he came up, and maybe he didn't handle it well. I, it might just be wishful thinking, but I, I felt like it was just rookie overwhelmed rather than hole in the swing or not major league level, whatever the case might be. Um, I'm still hoping that's the case, and I guess we'll see. But maybe it's just wishful thinking. I thought it was just a little overwhelmed as a rookie. Just interested. It's good. It's good to know. I know his name pops up a lot as as the Cubs' asking price is apparently exorbitant, and and I think it'll stay that way. I, I I'm of the opinion Chris Bryant's getting moved here in the next month. I, I, I think he's either yeah. I think he's going to Atlanta or he's going to Washington or he's possibly going to the Dodgers. But but I think the Cubs are serious. They're going to move somebody. They might move to somebody's. Actually, I think it was Jeff Passan who came out with sort of a, a wild path for the Cubs that at first I said, that's ridiculous. And the more I read it, the more I thought, well, that makes a lot of sense involving, <laughs> you, you know, did you see this about moving? I did not. So it involved, I, I, I won't, we've gone this long. What's another two minutes. It involved moving, um, uh, Wilson Contreras, their all-star catcher mm-hmm. and attaching Jason Hayward's contract. Which is a, mm. it's a bad contract, but it, it's, it's a not, problem. It's That's not, a problem. It's not awful as, as it's 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 bad, but it's not awful. And Contreras still has three years of control. It it involved moving those two contracts to Colorado and taking Nolan Arenado back. The Rockies would like to. They they already realize, hey, they've made a mistake. Arenado's disgruntled. He wants out, which was all very predictable a year ago. And and so here we are. They would get the young catcher that they want. They would get Hayward, who would – as long as all he does is hit against right-handers, he's fine. If, if, you, if you make him hit left-handers or if you hit him at the top of your lineup, well, that's on you. But he could hit seventh, and, and he's a gold-glove right fielder. He's still a very good defensive player. Uh, you, you can do worse than Jason Hayward. Uh, if, if Hayward's contract was $10 million a year, nobody would ever say a word. Uh, he's, he's fine. So those two contracts to Colorado, Arenado to the Cubs, the Cubs then turn around and trade 
Bryant to one of the teams that we talked about. And then depending on what they got, they'd still have the money available to go out and re-sign Nicholas Castellanos, who's yet to sign with anybody. And there's rumors that he's got sort of a deal in place with the Cubs, but the Cubs have to move the money first. And, and maybe Bryant uh, gets a couple of young players back in return that bolsters them a little bit. I think the Cubs would like to get young pitching, which would not be the route they would go with Washington. It would be the route that they would go with Atlanta if, let's say, Josh Donaldson indeed signs with Minnesota and Atlanta goes, we got to have a third baseman. We'll have to come off a couple of these arms. We, we, this is our window. we got to go get it. And, and Chris Bryant makes a, yeah. it makes a ton of sense in Atlanta as their, yeah. as their third yeah. baseman. So that path, when, you, when I first heard it, I said, this is stupid and far-fetched. And then – the more I dug into it, the more I went, well, that, that kind of makes sense. And from a money standpoint, well, that would make sense. And, well, that 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 does make sense. And, you know, the Cubs have a young catcher and Victor Caratini who's probably ready to be an everyday major leaguer. And they're, one of their two or three top prospects is a, a young catcher named Miguel Amaya who's probably a year and a half to two years away. And so, I don't know. There's a lot to watch there. It's Baseball's not that far away. I'm, I'm, uh, I know everybody's dialed into football, the draft, but, but I start like on a day like today when it was 63 degrees outside and I was walking the dogs. I started thinking about spring training. If I'm totally honest, <laughs> won't be long. Hope, hope springs eternal. I'll disappoint myself yet again. Well, hey man, <laughs> thanks so much for the time. Enjoy the championship game, and uh, we'll be back in contact soon. I hope. Absolutely, it's always fun. Thank you, Bill. Bye. Again, our thanks to Ryan Brown for his time today on the Beer Garden. Before we get to our next guest, let me tell you this podcast is also brought to you by LB's Meat Market, 2008 University Avenue in Oxford, right across from Kroger. A lot of you uh, have been using LB's. We appreciate it. I know Greg appreciates it. December was a great month for Greg, a great month for LB's, great month for a lot of people, quite frankly. You can make January great, too, as you start thinking about uh, – Maybe that Valentine's Day dinner, just a uh, what you want to grill on a uh, cold Super Bowl weekend, championship weekends coming up in the NFL, 662-259-2999. You can call Greg, tell him what you want, he'll have it ready for you. Or you can do what I like to do, which is go in and browse freshest cuts in Oxford, whether it's beef, pork, chicken, uh, shrimp, fish, straight from the Gulf. Uh, whatever the case may be, he'll get it all ready for you. He'll cut you exactly what you want. You have to check out his collection of sausages from the spicy ribeye to the chicken jalapeno to uh, the Swayze, everything that's there. It's fantastic. You'll find your favorites and uh, you will absolutely love it. So that's LB's Meat Market, 2008 University Avenue in Oxford. This podcast is also brought to you by Community Mortgage. It's located in Oxford, Memphis, DeSoto County, and Chattanooga. It's 30 years old. One of the oldest mortgage companies in the Southeast. All of the underwriting and the processing is done in Memphis, so you know you're getting local underwriting that understands your market. It's also the leader in condo financing in the Oxford market. So get in touch with Jason Lowe and ask about Community Mortgage's float-down option, which allows you to lock in the current rate, but if rates go down before you close, you can get the lower rate. It's J-L-O-W-E at communitymtg.com. And we're brought to you by Strategic Partners and Media. SPM is a full-service advertising agency. It works with businesses of all types, big or small, from Fortune 500 companies to startups. SPM can help your advertising needs for TV, radio, print, and every facet of social and digital media. 
Look, here's why SBM is really good and different than other ad firms. They handle everything in-house. They uh, don't sub their work out. The writing, the production, the editing is done solely by their staff, crafted uniquely for their clients. And lastly, an old Miss grad and a Mississippian's a partner in the firm. So get in touch with them and see just how great they are. It's Austin at strategicpartnersmedia.com. Again, Austin at strategicpartnersmedia.com. Our next guest here on the Beer Garden has been on a couple of times before. One Campbell McCready still here in Oxford for another uh, day or so before she heads back for her spring semester at the University of Arkansas. So, Campbell, welcome into the show. Woo pig. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, let's let's we'll, we'll, we'll get we're going to really dive into some SEC football with you in a minute because I know you have been studying it. We'll talk about uh, some SEC hoops as well. First, are you? Uh, how how devastated are you over the loss last night in Baton Rouge? Arkansas loses on a, a last second sort of controversial call. Were you able to sleep after the devastation of that loss? I didn't even know Arkansas played, honestly. So <laughs> yeah. I don't keep up with Arkansas sports. Uh well, yeah, it's just it's disappointing. <laughs> I'm sure that uh, I'm sh- you will be leaving on Saturday, right about the time that the uh, the Hogs get here to Arkansas. Eric Musselman and the Hogs—they've only lost twice now. Did you know that? No. Yeah, they're one and one in the league. I think they're twelve and two overall. They play at Ole Miss at five o'clock at the Pavilion. Anybody that would like to come buy me a beer, you can. Campbell won't be there to cheer on the Hogs. She'll be back uh, in Fayetteville, kind of crossing paths. All right, so let's uh, let's talk about your first semester in college. What was it? What was it like? What what, what stuck out? Um, it was hard at first. Well, it was hard throughout the whole time, but at first I didn't know how to study, and then by the end of it, I started to enjoy my classes. Besides my math class, that was hard. Kind of had that first two weeks where you you, you almost panicked a little. Yeah, I right? thought I wanted to change majors, so. Is that just because it was really hard and you were trying to figure out, can I handle this? I had my finite math class and my business law class that were really hard, and I just didn't know. I I had no idea how to study, honestly. So how did you figure it out? Um, I just started taking better notes, started using flashcards. I started just like writing different stuff down in class to study and... I also would FaceTime you, and yeah. you helped me study for history. We'll talk about that in a minute. We'll talk about my uh, my tutoring skills there in, in, in history and, and government. I told you, don't worry about that class. We're going to get yeah. that one. I yeah. was I stressed out about the finite. Uh-huh. Well, I went to tutoring for finite like twice, sometimes three times a week. Someone told you over the summer that that was going to be a good idea, right? Yes, Someone you, did. you did. Yeah, it was me. That's right. That's right. It was me. So as you got more confident, school got more fun? Yeah, I, I really started to like my business law class a lot. I loved my government class, but and I started to understand my math class more, but I still didn't like it. I just don't like math. Now, when we were at orientation, the people at the Walton School of Business said that they don't really allow you to say that, that you got to say, yeah, I love math. Even though you don't love math, you've got to learn to love math. Is that right? You, you you don't you can't you can't check out on math because it's part yeah. of what you do, right? Uh, yeah, we have to do math like the whole time. So, but I started to understand it more. Um. All right. Let's talk about your government class. You were 
probably destined for a B and then a, a, a tutor came into your life, an mm-hmm. instructor came into your life. Tell people about that experience. What was that like? Um, well, I kept making like 88s on my test and each test had 50 questions. So I missed like six questions on each test. Um, it was just like careless mistakes, I guess. But then um, I started FaceTiming my dad and we would FaceTime like three times before each test for probably like an hour each time. Yep. And the second, the first test that I took was like my last test that he like, I guess, tutored me for. <laughs> and I missed two questions. I made a 96. And then he tutored me for my final and I made a 92, I think. Yeah. And you would have done better, but that was the week that your computer died and yeah. you, you had a meltdown. Yeah. My computer completely broke one day before my government final. Yeah. So. You were you were inconsolable at that moment. You was, yeah. And it was understandable. That was a panic attack. Yeah. Brand new computer. Doesn't work. All your stuff's on it. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was a panic. The, what I remember about, about tutoring you was Ole Miss had a basketball game on a Saturday afternoon. Maybe it was a Sunday afternoon. I don't know. <laughs> they had a basketball game. It was a Saturday, I think. And I got to the arena, and I went into the media room, and I set up, and I waited for the game to start and because I figured the room would empty out when the game started, and we this. were going to tutor. Uh-huh. And... Uh, so we did a little over an hour, the entire first half. And um, <coughs> when I finished, I got up and there were some people that had been sitting over there that didn't go into the arena to watch the game, like employees and stuff that were just there for support staff. And because I think it was a day that maybe the men's team played. And then after the men's team, Ole Miss's women's team had a game right afterwards. So they had a long day there at the arena. And, uh, I got up and people were looking at me strange because they didn't didn't know that I was talking to you. They just heard me talking like about government and civics and history and stuff. And I think they thought that I was there kind of having a mental breakdown or something. And uh, so I was like, no, I was tutoring my daughter. And they're like looking around like, I don't see a girl. And I'm like, no, on Skype, you know, she's at she's at in college. And it, you could tell it just went way over their heads, and they were totally confused. Oh and gosh. I just said, "Well, I'm going to go upstairs now." And yeah. I, I went up and covered the second half of the game and wrote the story, and 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 you were good. So yeah, you uh, you knocked that out. So what do you have? Uh, what do you have this semester? Um, I have elementary French one because I'm doing international business. So or I think I plan on doing that. And then I have um, accounting one. I have data statistics and analytics. I have microeconomics and theater appreciation. So I can't help you with theater appreciation. I have no chance in hell of helping you with microeconomics or accounting. Um, I don't think I could help you with uh, I don't think data. Maybe, maybe a little with data and analysis, but probably not much. And um, the only thing I have thought about doing, not, this was, believe it or not, this had before you ever said you were, you were going to do... Um, French, I've had this, I've been listening to a podcast. Uh, it's about, you, you listen to some of it because I turned you on to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about, uh, it's called Wicked Game American Elections. And they take uh-huh. they take every American election starting with George Washington's election. And they're doing one a week up through the 2020 election. It's really been a fantastic series. I've really enjoyed it. It comes out every Tuesday. I look forward to it. It drops and I listen 
and I've really enjoyed it. I've learned a lot. It's like an American history class on steroids, but one of the sponsors is Rosetta Stone. Mm-hmm. And so I always listen to it when I'm out walking the dogs or something like that. And so my hands aren't really free to go fast forward through the ads. And so I've been listening to the ad for Rosetta Stone and I'm thinking, I could learn a language. Yeah, you should. I'm still young. I mean, I'm only 30. I could learn a language. And um, so now I'm tempted to get Rosetta Stone and learn French where I could either help you or we would be able to communicate in French, which would be cool. That would yeah. be funny. And we could talk French in the house and nobody else here would have <laughs> any idea what we were saying. And we could probably start making fun of people and that would be fun. So I've thought about doing that. So um, that's uh, that's about the extent of it. So socially, I know you made a bunch of friends. Yes. You pledged Kyo. Uh-huh. You, you've enjoyed Kyo. Is that right? Yes, I love it. I've met a lot of my friends in Kaya and my roommates at Kaya. So yeah, Parker, uh-huh. your, your we've talked about Parker. Parker's we'll have to get Parker on the podcast at yeah. some point. Okay. So let's talk about something that people are interested in beyond your academic pursuits. I know you watched the bachelor a lot. Mm-hmm. I watched the bachelor. <laughs> you watched, uh, you watched Monday night. What were your, what, we have not discussed this at all. What uh, were your uh, your initial thoughts on on the cast? I know you've already read spoilers. You probably know no, this. I is, have you not? I'm not. I'm gonna try. I always read the spoilers every season, like halfway through. But I'm gonna not do it. Okay. All right. So, what were your initial thoughts? Who stood out? What were your thoughts about this whole Hannah Brown thing? Um. Well, Hannah B. I really love Hannah B. But she, I, that was a whole publicity stunt for the producers to do. So I didn't like that. Like, it was just too dramatic for me to like it. And they were, like, crying, and it was annoying. So do you but, think her tears were genuine? I mean, was she really worked up about Peter? What was that about? Well, on Twitter, she said, like, that was the worst night ever, and she didn't want to relive it or something. So I don't know. I, it was just dramatic. But The other girls had to be kind of pissed off, right? Yeah, when, they were when, pissed off. I mean, when, but even more so than what you saw, when they look out, and there's Hannah Brown, and she'd just been on the last... Yeah, but they had to know that this girl was coming. But, you know, they probably were just like, okay, Hannah Brown's coming. Like, y'all just act surprised. But, like, she's not going to do anything. It's just going to create some drama. But then when she shows up for the group date, that's when things are like, whoa, this is weird. Yeah. And that's kind of where they left it. I mean, I don't really know. Well, no, then Peter and Hannah talked on the side and were like, Peter was asking about Tyler C. and Jed. Jed? Jed. Jed. And were upset about that. And then Hannah was like. And he, like, I think he invited her back to like be on this season, which would just be ridiculous. Well, then like she wins, basically, like she probably would have won. But she's not on the season. No, she's not. Okay. That was like they put that in all the commercials, all the promo videos to get people to watch it because they thought Hannah Brown was going to be on the new season. Yeah, and she can't. No, she's. That, they're not. They're not going to do that. They've. So. they've oh, we've been oversaturated. She was on Dancing with the Stars. No, and I'm. I, nobody wants her in there anymore. Yeah. Okay. They want some new people. So who stood out? Um, I liked. I think her name was Kelly. They met like a month before. They had met at that hotel. She, yeah, and she went on that airplane with him. I really liked her. Yeah, I'm going to break something to people. I think they had done more than met. Yeah. I think there was a little more to that than just a casual <laughs> encounter at the hotel yeah. where it's like, hey, how you doing? Good. Looking forward to seeing you. Yeah. Well, I like, I liked her. She's my favorite. I have my top three predictions already. All right. It's I, I, in no order. I don't know what it's going to happen, but Hannah Ann, who I did not like, the little brown, like brown-headed girl that- The short, girl from 
from uh, who got the Tennessee. first first impression rose, and then she kept going back, kept going back. Yeah. And by the way, she is like a little social media person, or no, I don't know what she is, but she was on a Sonic commercial. Like she's a she likes on the commercials for Sonic, like the drive-in. Like where the two guys are doing all the well, no, like, she like I have one. a picture of it, but huh. it's just like she has, she's on a commercial for Sonic, and it's like going around Twitter. Okay, so you think it's. Hannah, Hannah Ann. Ann and then Kelly, okay, the girl that they already met, and then either the girl from Auburn, Madison, who yeah. I actually really liked, she was really nice, or I don't know her. I think her name is Victoria. One of the there's two Victorias, but she's a nurse. She was like, I can't remember. I knew I remember there being two Victorias. Well, this girl's the one that got sick on the little ride. Oh, yeah. He did like her. No, I liked her, and she was sick, but she didn't pitch a fit about it. Right. She just she got just on and then went through it. Kind of sucked it up. Yeah. yeah. So those are my predictions. Usually, I'm pretty right. I've tried to avoid the spoilers, but you know Jay Tate. You've met Jay. Uh-huh. Jay, his friend is, uh, one of his friends is a guy that he covers, obviously, is one of the coaches on Bruce Pearl's staff at, Al- at Auburn with Auburn Basketball, and Madison is his daughter, uh-huh. and so Jay knew a little bit about the season and some of the pictures have since gotten out on the internet of she apparently gets one of the at home. So she makes it a long way. I I just, I feel like she's going to be in the top two. I wonder if like her family, like do the, do the, are the families allowed to know? Because on Madison's like Instagram story, her and her like sister, I think she has a sister and like her friends like watched the, I think she's one of like four girls. Well, I wonder if like they know if she. Well, you'd think they have to know, right? I but mean, then this... then I feel like that would just get out. Like I wonder if they like are like I don't know. Probably sworn to some level of secrecy, but you would have to think that, that they would know. I do know that he must have come to their house for one of the at home things because some of the pictures have gotten out. Oh well, then she was the in the final. So that puts her in the final three. Or four. No, that puts you in the final four. Four. And then it's Fantasy Sweet Week, which is three. So I heard you telling your mother that when you turn, is it 23? Yeah. That you're planning to try out for The Bachelor. <laughs> well, now you have to apply. Apply. And it's, then you get, I don't know if there's like tryouts. <laughs> like, I don't know what tryouts are. I don't know. I don't know that I even want to know. Is that because you think that's where you would go find love? Or no. is that because that's how you could become popular i can become famous okay or at least like slightly famous i get like i can like i just sit there get free food get to watch all these girls like pitch fits and stuff and like there's so much drama i'd have so much fun like i i think it'd just be the funniest thing ever it would be funny and like i wouldn't know if i get out the first night and then so be it like i don't care like i don't think i'd take it seriously <laughs> at all it would just be fun to watch all the drama but you couldn't get famous unless you got well then, I try to get to like roughly the top like twelve. Yeah, you need you got to get at least three or four episodes in to have a chance that you're fifteen minutes of fame. No, and, yeah, and you get exposed. Well, some girls get their fifteen minutes of fame because they like do something the first night. It's right. like you know whatever. Like they get all worked up, and then all of a sudden everybody knows who you are. So, or the girl that brought the cow. Yeah, and they're like, oh, that's the girl that like. Remember, there's a grocery store Joe that was on Becca. Kufrin's season, but anyways, he worked at a grocery store. Okay. Okay. And he got fa- he got kicked off the first night, and now he's famous because he works at a grocery store. Really? Yeah. When you say famous, you mean social media famous? Yeah, and he's like friends with all the Bachelor people, like Peter, and friends with like um, 
this guy named Jason that was on Becca's season that was in the final three, like, is now like a he he went on Bachelor in Paradise, like he because he got kicked off the first night. Yeah, that's the only one. I would, the only thing I ask you as a dad not to go do is don't do the Bachelor in Paradise thing. That 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 just <laughs> it just has a. Well, I just I think it'd be funny to watch all the drama. Yeah, well, I, I, it'd be funny to be involved in the drama. It would just be fun. Be fun to have you. You could be a regular podcast guest at that point because I'd have a lot of questions. One of the things I've tried to do on this podcast is to get people from the Bachelor series. It's the only time I've wished that I were uh, Twitter verified. Mm-hmm. I've never tried to be Twitter verified. I think if I were verified, I'd have a better chance of getting. Yeah, you ought to do show. it because if you got a bachelor person on the show, I'd like freak out. You'd freak out. Yes, yeah, so you'd get so many listeners. So when we did the hand raise guys, and we we I gave you and Parker the shout out. Did mm-hmm. that make y'all popular at Reed Hall? Did it, did it do a lot? Was everybody like, oh my god, you guys <laughs> no, got all hand raise guys? I put it on my story because I I texted you, and then I just started videoing because I was like, I he kept you. I was like, he's looking down at his phone. Yeah, and I was like, I have a feeling he's gonna say something. So I started videoing on my Snapchat <laughs> and I got the video and Parker was like freaking out. She thought it was so funny. And we just thought it was the funniest thing. And I put it on my story and everybody was like, what in the world? It like, And I was like, my dad does podcasts. So when you explain to people what your dad does, do they even remotely understand it? Because it's I, 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 I'm convinced that I have a job that even really intelligent people can't understand what I do. Well, they understand it. They think it's cool that you do podcasts for a living. They think that's cool. Yeah, also writes. Well, I know. Oh. I tell them you're a sports writer, and he also does podcasts. There's like a studio in our yeah. house, whatever. Okay. And they're they. I mean, they think it's cool. Like Parker understands what you do. Yeah. Obviously, because I'm friends with her parents. Yeah. And all that stuff. But like, yeah. and I tell my friends, and they they, they seem to understand, but they, they just kind of they don't ask a ton of questions. Yeah. They're just like, okay. Yeah. It's like they don't they don't get it. Well, and you know, like your podcast, you're like about we don't do like we don't pay attention to sports and stuff. So, but like they, I told them I was going to be on a podcast, and like, oh my gosh, I want to listen. So, so I'm sure some <laughs> of your friends could name. So let's see, let's see if you can pull it off. Arkansas's new football. What was the Arkansas's old football coach? What was his name? Oh my gosh, I know who it is, but I just don't remember. I don't remember. Chad. Chad Morris. Chad Morris. He's now the offensive coordinator at Auburn. Did you know that? Yes. Okay. He is at Auburn. So Auburn hired the defensive, no, the offensive line coach from the University of Georgia. I mean, not Auburn, Arkansas did as their new head coach. And his name is? Sam Pittman. Sam Pittman. And what is he famous for? He does that. What does he say? He says like more. Yes, sir. Yeah, that, that. What do people say on campus about him? I know at one point, (laughs) A lot of people at Arkansas thought that Arkansas was going to hire Lane Kiffin, and it looked like that week Arkansas maybe could have hired Lane. Oh, Kiffin. I remember that because I heard Pe- you mention that. Yeah, people were talking about that some. Yeah. Was there was there a letdown when it was instead of Kiffin it was Pittman? And how, have, what, are, what are people saying about Sam Pittman? I honestly have no idea. So when you go to class, when you go to the Kyo House, when you go to uh, what's the name of the what's the name of the uh, the place where you eat Fulbright when Fulbright. you go to Fulbright no one's ever saying hey so what's what's up with the new no, football coach because like I sit with this like I have my friends and we sit there and talk about like uh, random stuff <laughs> like we don't sit there and talk about football you know so you went to some of the games with the games I know you went to the A&M game in Dallas yeah and that I was love fun. that that was really fun it was close mm-hmm. Arkansas had a shot yeah it was one of the few shots that Arkansas had all year mm-hmm. the other games you would just leave pretty early Did well, everybody else leave too yeah, like I went to the first game with, like the first home game with Parker and two of our friends, and we stayed for a good, I'd say, mm, 
15 minutes yeah. and it was so hot. Yeah. And I was just like, I want to go to read and that's my dorm and I want to just do whatever. So we went to read and ate lunch and then every other game we'll go to like the tailgates and stuff. But I'll either go in and stay for like maybe 20 minutes or just not go at all and go back to my room. But like I can see the stadium from my room. Yeah. I can't see the game, but like I can hear you can like they do they shoot off like these firework things whenever they get a touchdown. So I can and so no, not many fireworks. No, but like when you hear one, you're like, oh my gosh! Like yes, yeah. Arkansas did something good. So, but you think it's different if they start winning? Yeah, if they if they're actually good, like I'll go. But I'm not going to get invested in something that like literally they suck. So, <laughs> like, why would I waste my time? I can go do my laundry or something. <laughs> Um, let's see what else was I going to ask you. Well, baseball's coming around. Arkansas is usually pretty good in baseball. You going to go to some of the yeah. some of the baseball games? Well, I like baseball. Baseball's like my favorite sport to watch. So, I'll go to those. Yeah, I like basketball, but I haven't made it to a game yet. That's a result of you growing up in a Cub fan house. Yeah, and I played softball, so like I know, yeah. and I played basketball, so like I know what what actually what's going on in football. I feel like I don't even understand. You suffered a catastrophic injury in your one intramural, intramural basketball game. That was, yeah. Is that the end of your intramural career? Are you gonna um, you gonna go back and give well, some was, intramural a chance at some point? I was point? supposed to be on the intramural um, board game team, which is kind of more my speed. So, if that actually happens, then yeah, I'll go play some board games. Like I, that sounds fun. Or I know there's like a capture the flag thing, yeah. and that sounds so fun. If there was like an ultimate frisbee, that's definitely. Well, there probably is an ultimate frisbee. No, there's not. Really? No. Really? Because I think I would have seen it by now. Because I played, I was on the ultimate frisbee high school team. I played ultimate frisbee, which was like it was just like a club basically. But I is played, there no ultimate frisbee club at Arkansas? There probably is, but like I, I just haven't found it. Yeah. But that's that's what I'd play. Would be like those random games. Like, but yeah, basketball is awful. I never want to do that again. And yeah. we we scored like four points, and it was just my friend that did it. Yeah, y'all were destroyed in that game, right? No, it was like awful because we played these. We played Kappa, and they had five girls that like played basketball throughout <laughs> high school, and we hadn't played since like <laughs> seventh, seventh grade. grade. Um. Well, uh, I'm trying to think. Is there anything else? So, what's your what's your big New Year's resolution? Any any kind of a resolution going into 2020? Mm, not really. I don't really do resolutions. I don't either. So I've never done resolutions and I've never been big on birthdays and it, that always makes people mad. I love birthdays. I know you do. I like other people's birthdays. I just don't really care for mine. I love my birthday. I like my birthday. I think I like other people's more, but your, your attitude is the healthier one than mine is. So I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad that you have that as opposed to mine. Mine's sort of more curmudgeonly about, about birthdays. Well, it's always fun to have you on. I'm very proud of you. You Thank did great. You. I was, uh, I really enjoyed watching you um, excel in your your first year. It was fun. Your first semester, it was fun to watch, and it was always great to hear from you. And you know, I love you, and I'm very proud of you. Love you too. Thank you. That's Campbell McCready. Thanks to her for uh, spending some time with us here on the Beer Garden. Again, our thanks to Ryan Brown for his time. Enjoy the NFL playoff weekend. Enjoy. The BCS title game on Monday night. Do you know who's in the title game, Campbell? Who's no. in the Who's in the national championship game? No, no idea. Um, it's one SEC team against an ACC team. I don't know what ACC is. Atlantic Coast Conference. No, I have like absolutely no idea. It's LSU and Clemson. LSU and Clemson on Monday night. 
for the national title. And we'll be back with another edition of The Beer Garden, sponsored by the Oxford Crystal. Thanks to them for being with us. Thanks to Clark Ford. Thanks to uh, Rafters uh, for sponsoring the hotline as well. So until next week, when we'll probably flip gears, maybe we'll talk NBA for the first time, talk some college basketball. Until then, have a great weekend. Take care.